the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the interesting things about the Gospel of John is that there's not a nativity story. There's no Bethlehem, no inn without a room, no shepherds watching their flocks by night, angelic visitations, or wise men who come from afar to worship the baby Jesus. But even though it might sound as if this beginning of John's Gospel is a far cry from what Matthew and Luke say, They're all saying the same thing. Except John strips it all down and gives us a laser beam declaration of who this child born in a manger is and his birth's implications for you and for me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, Full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. This baby in the manger in Bethlehem is no mere child, but in fact is the Word incarnate, God Himself, who has come to dwell among us. And here in John's prologue, we hear that both Jesus and God the Father are one. And if you want to know God, you have to know Jesus Christ. If you're searching for God, if you're looking for Him, if you're trying to comprehend Him and His place in your life, if you want to have a full understanding of God, you need to know Jesus Christ. Now this doesn't mean that you can't know something about God, but you can't fully know Him. When I was living in Washington, D.C., I would take the metro, and after doing it for a couple years on that subway system, uh, I began to notice familiar faces in the subway cars with me, and I imagined they lived somewhere in the neighborhood I lived in, and I would sort of play a little game. I would look at them and try to size them up by what they wore, uh, what their facial expressions said, uh, what they were reading, and I would try to put together a composite of who these people uh, might be. And uh, as I did that, I would think certain things about these people, but as time went by, every once in a while I would get into a conversation with them, and sometimes I would find those observations validated and sometimes completely eradicated. Because in order to really get to know somebody, you not only observe their life, but you have to take their word for it. You have to hear what they have to say. Otherwise, you won't fully know the person. One individual, after looking at the way that I was dressed, said, Oh, I had no idea that you were in the ministry. I was wearing a coat and tie. He said, I thought you were one of those lawyers. Now, I still don't know what that means. uh, But clearly, after speaking to me, they took my image to them, took on a whole different meaning. You get to know someone through their words in conjunction with their lives. And here we have the Greek word for word, logos, which is where we get the English word logic. The very logic of God, of who He is, not in an abstract concept, not derived simply from observation. 
He's not given us that. He's given us a person. He has come to earth himself. And so if you want to know God, look at the life of Jesus and hear his teaching. But what does it mean to know Jesus Christ? Because you can know a lot about somebody, but not really know them. I was amazed the other day when we were talking about the President of the United States, uh, how much the people in the room actually knew about him. It was a little creepy. I could say, uh, I know that he grew up in Hawaii, that he went to Columbia for undergrad, uh, that he's married, he has two little girls, he likes to play pickup basketball games, and I even know his address, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Now, some of those details uh, are rather intimate, but can I actually say that I know the President of the United States? You can know a lot of details and facts about Jesus Christ, but not know Him personally. To know Jesus personally is to believe not only in Him, but to believe on Him for your salvation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became knowable to us. He knows us so that we might know Him. Now, when we read in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John could have used a plethora of Greek words for the word dwell. He could have used abide, tarry, rest, walk among us, But he used a Greek word that every Hebrew reader reading this would have caught on to immediately. And that's the Greek word for tabernacle. So it literally reads, And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now, to you and me, that means absolutely nothing. But to his readers, it was a dramatic and amazing statement. Because what he was hearkening back to is Mount Sinai. Remember when Moses went up and he said, God, I want to know you. I want to see your face. And God said, no. If you see my face, you will surely die. So construct a tabernacle. And I will dwell in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, behind the veil, in front of where the, right where the priests sacrifice for the sins of the people. That is where I will dwell. Because if you see me, you will surely die. But now, God has come and He's dwelt amongst us. He's not in a far off place, but He's accessible. And in the Old Testament, how was the glory of God shown? Pillars of fire? Smoky mountains? But now a little baby in a manger in Bethlehem. Flesh. Vulnerable, knowable, relatable. God came as an infant and dwelt among us, and He experienced everything that we experienced. The pain of loss over a loved one, struggle with temptation, betrayal, and yet He did not sin. Everything that you've been through, He knows. 
Now there may be some this morning who have said, you know, God, in a difficult period of my life, I prayed to you and you didn't answer my prayer the way that I would like you to have. But you know, Jesus even knows about that. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if there's some other way to do this, please take this cup away from me. And yet it wasn't. God knows where each and every single one of you have been and has felt what you feel. He has come to earth and dwelt amongst us. He knows us so that we might know Him. The question remains, now why is it then though that Moses couldn't see his face and yet we can? If you've ever had a relationship in which you've been very close, maybe even a best friend, and something has happened, something that you might even say is irreparable, that the harm has been done and the relationship is no longer in existence and it may never even be able to be repaired. And the angst and the brokenness that that causes in your heart uh, when you think about it and when you dwell upon it and how you long to have that relationship restored and to have things set right. And to be in a public place and to be and to see the other party in that relationship walk into the room at your heart just crumbles into your stomach. Well, that's what happened between us and God. That there is a gap between God the Father and His people because of sin. And that gap, no animal sacrifice would cover that gap. And so surely, for Moses to see God's face would destroy him. And yet, even though we were the offending party, God humbled Himself and took on flesh and came and dwelt amongst us in order to repair the breach. Even when He was in His rights to say, you're on your own, we're through, He came to repair the breach. He not only became vulnerable, He not only became knowable, He became killable. And in order to have that breach repaired in the relationship, somebody had to give themselves up. Somebody had to die. And the innocent party did that for us in Jesus Christ. And so what has happened, as Paul writes in Galatians, but when the time had fully come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, we weren't looking to repair the relationship, but God in His infinite mercy came to do it for us. He has chosen us. We haven't chosen Him And His love is so great for us that as He pursues us out, the offending party, He changes our hearts so that we are no longer strangers, we are no longer enemies, and we're not just simply friends. We're His sons and daughters by adoption. An irrevocable, binding trust. There's nothing 
that you can do to unson yourself or undaughter yourself when God is your Father. So great is His love for us, and so great was His rescue mission to come and take on flesh and to die and to be raised again for us. That is the miracle of Christmas. That God came, vulnerable, in the form of a baby, and He manifested His glory in this weak, crying child in Bethlehem so that He might know us, that we might know Him, and that we might be sons and daughters of God. Amen.